Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see a great crowd out for second service today. It's a beautiful Sunday. Uh, thanks for being here. My name is Steve. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, I am really excited to have Jerry uh, Neville here on staff with us. I'm really excited that he and his family, Jerry and Casey, and their four kids are here as well. And so I hope you'll give them a warm welcome. I hope you treat them as warmly as you've treated me in the past, most of you. A few of you, I will tell you not to treat them like you treat me, but uh, that's a different story, story for another day. That's a different sermon. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're going we're gonna to jump around to three different places in the New Testament today, but Luke 10 is a good place to start. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one that looks like this on the floor around you. It's page 725 is where we're going to be in this Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, I, just, I keep repeating this, but just so you guys know, if you don't have a Bible at home, this is yours to take with you. If you don't have one that you can know how to read, uh, take this one with you. We want you to be able to be in the Word all the time. How many of you know the name, know, have heard of the person, uh, Dick Rowe? Dick Rowe. Anybody know that name? Dick Rowe? Anyone? Uh, Dick was one of the most famous and successful record producers of the 1950s and 60s. There's a picture of him right there. He's known uh, in part for signing artists like the Rolling Stones, uh, the Zombies, Van Morrison, and the Moody Blues. And so some of you now are like, oh, I really like that guy. And some of you are like, who are those old people that you're talking about? Um, but he's best known uh, Dick Rowe is best known for the day that he signed a band called Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Anybody know about Brian Poole and the Tremolos? We had one in the first service. Nobody. All right. Well, this is why, this is what happened. Uh, Dick Rowe and his company, he was the president of Decca Records at the time. They had two auditions in the same day. Uh, two different bands coming in for an audition. And the first band, Brian and the Tremolos, they showed up on time. They brought their own equipment. They were ready. They were prepared. They dressed nicely. And, uh, and everything went off without a hitch. They had a good sound, fine audition, seemed like a slam dunk to be a success. The other band, on the other hand, came late. They had a hard time understanding public transit at the time. Uh, their equipment was junk, so when they got there and tried to plug in, they couldn't get it to work, so they had to use the studio's uh, instruments. And uh, they were from a long way away. And just in the, in the end, it seemed like Brian and the Tremolos was a little bit more of, a little less of a risk, and the other band, well, they just seemed like too big of a risk. And so in the end, Dick Rowe signed Brian Poole and the Tremolos to a contract, a recording contract, and by any measure, they were a moderately successful band. They had a couple of albums, uh, they charted a couple of times, until a couple of years later when Brian Poole decided he could do better on his own, and he went out and started his solo career, and the Tremolos were just the Tremolos. And they didn't do very well without Brian Poole, and Brian Poole didn't do very well with his band. So they broke up, and they both became kind of footnotes in history. But the other band, well, they were pretty good too. Uh, they were a band you've probably heard of. And as their fame grew, as the Beatles' fame grew, Dick Rowe became known as the man who turned down the Beatles. Now, so here's my question this morning. How would you like to be known for one big mistake in your life? Look back over your life. Think about everything that you've done everything that you've accomplished, every person that you've invested in, every, every success you've had, and think about one big failure in your life. And what if everybody knew you for that one failure, that one big mistake? Well, I think uh, we're going to talk about a person who is known for that, but I, I want to tell you what, um, what Dick Rowe told, I thought this was really hilarious, what Dick Rowe told Brian Epstein, who was the Beatles manager at the time. He said, we don't really like the boys' sound, and besides Mr. Epstein, guitar bands are on their way out. <laughs> so, pretty famous record producer failed to predict the hair band trend of the 1980s. Um, 
But how would you like to be known for the one mistake you've made in your life? Well, I think one of the people we're going to talk about, a woman named Martha, is best known by readers of the Bible for one mistake that she made. And I hope, my, one of my personal, I have a lot of hopes in this message, but one of my personal hopes is I hope to redeem Martha's reputation a little bit. I, I'm a little bit like Martha, and so I want us to see the good part of Martha as well. Uh, but still see what Jesus has to say. So we're going to talk about her and her sister Mary. We're continuing in the series called Humans of the Bible. And if you, I know a lot of you have been on vacation, you've been gone for a while. And so if you've not been with us, this series is loosely based on the blog called Humans of New York. Uh, it's a blog. It's now an Instagram page as well. Photographer Brandon Stanton started this a few years ago. His hope was to capture the faces of a 10,000 New Yorkers. He kind of wanted to create a catalog of the faces of New York. But what happened very quickly after he started this blog was he realized that he was as interested or more interested in the stories of the people as he was of just capturing their faces. He realized that their stories spoke uh, as much or more than their faces did. And so he kind of changed directions on this and turned it more into a, a blog than just a photo blog. And uh, that he, 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 it helped him understand that these people behind the portraits were real people with real stories and that other people could relate to their stories. And that's what we hope to do with this series. We, we want to look at the people in the Bible and just help understand, hey, these are not characters. This is not a work of fiction that somebody penned at some point or somebody's penned at one point. These are real people who had real lives, they had real stories, and we can learn from their stories. And so that's what we want to talk about. And so the two humans I want to talk today about today are sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, they're from a place called Bethany, which is a town just a couple miles outside Jerusalem. And they hold a special place in the New Testament. They really do. Uh, and that while they are not any of the main actors who are covered by the New Testament, uh, they are mentioned multiple times. Most of the kind of uh, bit parts, I guess, the people that, that don't have a major part in the life of Jesus are only mentioned once, and then we never know what happened to them. But Mary and Martha, we actually see three times throughout that. And, and here's something I think I could take away from this, and it's that Jesus held women in high regard. In fact, uh, I would go so far as to say that Jesus held women in equal regard to men, which was very unusual in this culture. Uh, and while it's true there are no women among the 12 apostles, that wouldn't have been all that unusual culturally. And it would have made, because having women in that group would have made the kind of uh, traveling, itinerant ministry that Jesus did difficult. It was very relational. And having women in that group would have made it difficult, especially for a single man uh, who had all the same temptations that we have. But Jesus did have many women followers or, or disciples, you might call them. His ministry was partially funded by women. In fact, we see some pretty famous women who had a part in funding his ministry. Not famous to us, but famous to the people at the time. Famous that would have been, uh, it would have been a scandal if some people had found out that these women had been funding Jesus' ministry. Uh, women are, in the first church, women hold a uh, positions of influence. And, and so Mary and Martha, while it's true they're not part of the 12, uh, in fact, most indications are they didn't travel with Jesus at all. Every time that we see them is when Jesus comes to Bethany. Jesus comes to visit them. But they're mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. So they have a high uh, place of regard in the New Testament. And so here's what I want to do. Um, I thought, as I was kind of praying through how we could best address this, I want to look at all three of the places that Mary and Martha are mentioned in the New Testament. And then we'll come back and, and, and redeem Martha a little bit. I want to do that. And then we'll try to put together these three events and see if there are any similarities. Is there a common thread that runs through them and uh, talk about what Jesus is trying to tell us through these, uh, through these two women? All right, so let's start in Luke 10, verse 38. This is the first one. This is the most famous encounter probably with Mary and Martha. It's the one that you may know. 
Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her, taken away from her. Okay, so this is the one, the one place, the one maybe questionable move that Martha made, uh, and it's what she's probably best known for. And in fact, uh, she, she's the one that's busy, right? She's busy, busy, busy while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening. And if you've been around church much, this is probably what you know about Mary and Martha. Uh, Martha is the busybody, and Mary is the good listener, right? In fact, uh, if you grew up in church or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, you may have even called somebody a Martha at one time. Don't be such a Martha, as it's like that's a bad thing, right? Maybe um, you're getting ready for a connection group, for small group, and uh, people start arriving, and you tell your wife, don't be such a Martha. Go hang out with the people. That, that's, um, by the way, bonus husband points for that, if you do that, right? Uh, right, ladies? So this is the message that we sometimes get in this encounter uh, from Jesus. This is the, the, the message that we get, that we need more Marys and fewer Marthas in the world. And, and the hard part is that you may be the kind of person that really relates to Martha, I mean, me, I, I'm more of a Martha than a Mary. Uh, but the truth is that we need Marthas, right? Marthas make the world go round. Now, if we were all Marthas, this would be a pretty boring place. It'd be a lot more organized, okay, but it'd be pretty boring. Now, if we were all Marys, what would we be doing? Well, we'd all be starving, sitting in our own filth, and uh, filing our taxes on April 16th. That's what we'd all be doing in the world, right? So we need Mar- Marys, but we need Marthas as well. Uh, Marys are nice, but there's stuff to be done. And when there's stuff to be done, you need a Martha to come along. And so what gives in this case? I'm going to look at that in a few minutes. But, but for now, let's look at the second place that they appear in Scripture. And this is in John 11. And when I say the second place, it is the second place in order that we read the Scriptures. It's also the second time chronologically that we know Jesus runs into these two. Um, and I get that because... Uh, you know, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all tell the story of Jesus. They all tell it from a slightly different angle. And sometimes it's hard to tell what comes before what unless you have, uh, it's called a harmony of the Gospels. A harmony of the Gospels takes all of these four stories and lines them up in chronological order. So we can look at that and we can know that this event actually comes after the last event. So here it is in John 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, we haven't heard that story yet. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But remember, John is writing this decades after this encounter. The apostle John is writing this. He's writing it decades after. So he's got the benefit of of hindsight. He can look back and say, oh, that's the same woman who that one time poured perfume on Jesus' feet. We'll talk about that story in just a minute. Um, so this verse three, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Stick a pin in that verse because we're going to come back to that. That's really important to all of these stories. 
Verse six, so when he heard that Lazarus is sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, there's something that's always bothered me about this verse. And if you heard me preach about Lazarus maybe a couple years ago on Easter, you probably know what that is. This says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he what? He immediately got up and went to Bethany and healed Lazarus, right? No. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, let me try to, I tried to let Jesus off the hook here because he needs my defense, right? Um, So Jesus, this is a very busy time in Jesus's ministry. And maybe he's got a lot of people that need him. And really, it's just going to be, it's going to be two days before he can get there. But that's not what the verse says. The verse says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, when I hear so, to me, that's kind of a cause and effect, right? Because, in fact, I could read it like this. Because Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. There was something about this love that Jesus had for them that made him stay where he was and not immediately go attack the problem. Why is it? Well, he told us. It's because he wants to use this for God's glory. He's going to use it to glorify his son. And so maybe you're waiting for God to do something in your life. You're, you're, you, you, there's something that desperately needs to be fixed, something that desperately needs to be healed, and you just want Jesus to swoop right in and fix it. But maybe he's going to use it to reveal his glory through you. Maybe he's... Uh, if he came in and just fixed it or just came in and healed it or just came in and solved the situation, it would be, you know what, that's just kind of a coincidence. Maybe you'd lose sight of the fact that it was God that actually did it and, and he wouldn't be able to show you the power and the glory of God in your life. Maybe just fixing it would be a cop-out, right? And it wouldn't allow you to put credit where it belongs. So God is going to let something in your life die just so he can show you he's worth your praise. That's what he does with Lazarus. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he waited two more days. Now, here's what happens, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Word doesn't travel very fast. Takes some time for the word to get to Jesus that he's sick. Jesus waits two more days. Takes some time for Jesus to travel to Bethany. By that time, Lazarus is not only dead, he's been in the tomb for four days. Uh, Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This almost sounds a little indignant, doesn't it? Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Like, it's your fault. But listen, I think Martha's gonna redeem herself right here. Look at this faith. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. What great faith. Lazarus is dead. And he's not just dead. He's been in the tomb for four days. He's dead, dead. And, but she goes, and I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And some of you may be in that place today. The cancer has spread too far. Our financial situation's gotten too bad. Uh, the love is completely gone from our marriage. You need to make that problem known to Jesus and say, but God, I believe that even now you can come down and make it right. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. It looks like all hope is gone, but I know that even now God has the power to act in this situation. Even now you can be healed. 
Even now it can be fixed. Even now that relationship can be restored. You know, I sometimes say, if you're not dead, you're not done. But Lazarus was dead. Maybe if you're dead, you're still not done. Because God's got that kind of power. Our God has that kind of power. Um, Even now, Jesus is capable of amazing things. Skip down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. And if you went to Sunday school as a kid or maybe you grew up in a Christian school and uh, your teacher said you had to memorize a Bible verse, maybe John eleven thirty-five 35 is the one that you memorized, uh, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And uh, it was real easy for you because it's only two words. And so your teacher could say, hey, did you have, do you have a memory verse for this week? Yep, John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. And you know, you'd be proud of yourself. Uh, that's, that's the reason I know that verse. Uh, verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Martha's always wanting to clean stuff up, right? Uh, Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Watch what he's gonna do here. He said, I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He's gonna make it clear that it's God who's doing the healing. It's clear to everybody that it's God who is doing the work here. That's God who needs to be glorified. When he said that, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What an incredible story. Lazarus gets a second chance at life. But you know, for many of us in this room, this is the same as true of us. That we have had a second chance of life. Through Jesus, we've been given a second chance of life. I know for a long time, I had a good life and a good marriage. was making a pretty good living, but I had no purpose. My life had no aim to it. I didn't know what I was shooting for. But when Jesus entered my life, And when I finally gave him free reign and I allowed him to take over everything, he gave me a second life. And if you're a Christian, whether you've thought about it or not, this is true for you too. Uh, The New Testament says in Ephesians 2, it says this, as for you, and he's writing to people in the church, as for you, you were dead, just like Lazarus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, All of us, when uh, that word that's translated there means everyone, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, like people outside the church, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul is basically saying there, just like Lazarus, just like Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to show his glory, 
God raises us from the dead, from our dead, our death in sin and death in our transgressions. And he raises us up to show God's glory. And then he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is from the gift of, it is a gift of God, so that not by works, so that no one can boast. So let's tease that out a little bit. Jesus is presenting this offer. He will take your current life, a life where you're already dead, you're already dead in your sin, and he will replace it with a new life. That's the offer. And if you choose not to do anything about that, if you never make a decision to accept that offer, you will die someday, and that's the end. And you will be separated from God for all of eternity. But if you accept that offer, you have to choose to die now. You have to die to yourself. We all have to die to ourselves if we're going to be followers of Jesus. Uh, and you are immediately granted a second life. Like you don't have to wait for someday when your body dies, that you are immediately given eternal life. And then someday when your body is old and withered, you won't die. You, you won't have to be like Lazarus. In fact, sometimes people will ask, how confident are you that you have eternal life? And for a long time, I didn't have a great level of confidence, even after becoming a Christian. I didn't know that I would have eternal life. But now I'm completely 100% confident because I've already received it. I am living my eternal life now. I don't have to wait. I'm already on my second life. I know because I'm not the me I used to be. I know the me I used to be, and the me you see standing here now is not like the old me. I am a new creation in Christ. And I'm confident that was true for Lazarus too. I bet he lived his second life with an urgency that he never had before because he knew he'd been granted a second chance at it. And Mary and Martha got to witness that. They got to see that in their brother. All right, I wanna look at the third place where we see these two really quickly, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up with this common thread that's running through these things. John 12, 1, John 12, 1. Six days before the Passover. Now, just for clarification, this is the Passover where Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem, be welcomed as a hero, be arrested, be tried, be convicted, and be sentenced to death. So this is right before Jesus is going to go to the cross. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor, I bet right? You raise Lazarus from the dead. Here Jesus is coming back to town. Hey, can I buy you dinner? You saved my life, right? You're going to do that. Uh, Martha served, obviously, uh, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. How weird is that? Like the guy who's was just raised from the dead is reclining at the table with Jesus like nothing ever happened. Uh, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. But look at Jesus. He's going to rebuke Judas. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Then he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, so as I was preparing this week, I noticed that there's a common theme uh, running through these three stories. And not just in Mary and Martha. We obviously see a common theme in Mary and Martha too. We see that, that Martha is the one that's um, always busy, right? She's uh, the first time we see her, she's busy making preparations. Uh, the second time we see her when Lazarus is dead, she's the one that rushes out to meet Jesus while Mary stays at home. Uh, the third time we see her, 
uh, when they're uh, at dinner with Lazarus, after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, she's the one serving, right? That's kind of Martha's spirit. Uh, Mary is the one, and we always see her at the feet of Jesus. Have you noticed that? Like the first time they're in dinner where Martha's, where is Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. The, the second time when Jesus comes to town, Lazarus is dead. What's it say that, that Mary, when Martha runs out to greet him and kind of confronts him, but then, you know, has this great expression of faith. But then Mary runs out and she falls where? At the feet of Jesus. And then the third time we see them, uh, Lazarus is reclining at the table, Martha's serving, and where's Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, pouring perfume on his feet. So there's a, there's a common thread with these two, but there's also a common thread in what Jesus is going to tell them. What, what Jesus has to say to them in these three stories is the same. And I, I, before we talk about what that common thread is, I want to remind you where it comes from, okay? Because sometimes Jesus is going to tell us things. He's going to give us instruction. He's going to give us feedback. And we don't always like feedback. We kind of like our lives. We kind of like to do what we want to do. Um, but, but I want to remind you where this feedback comes from because sometimes even those of us who know our Bibles and we have solid theology and we know that we're saved by grace alone, we can get so caught up in this idea of the rules that Jesus gives us, right? We can, we can get so caught up in this, uh, well, we can take two approaches actually. We can, we can, on one side, we can be all about the rules. I love God. I'm going to follow all the rules and, um, and, and that's good, but we can become kind of a, a holiness of our own that I'm holy because I follow the rules and you're not holy because you don't follow all the rules and because of that, I'm going to look down on you. And so we can kind of be this person. That's, this is where the Pharisees stood, right? Okay, so it's all about the rules. And then there's other people who are all about grace. And I know that I'm saved by grace and because I'm saved by grace, I don't really have to change anything I do. I don't really have to stop sinning because really Jesus already paid for it all anyway, so why not just ring up a big tab, right? I'll just talk however I want. I'll watch whatever I want. I'll listen to whatever I want. I'll do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter because I've been saved by grace. Jesus has saved me, and so I'm just going to sit over here. So we get, we get two, these two different views of what the, the rules are like, what Jesus' commands are like. And so I think it's really important that we understand the place where they're coming from. All right, so watch where this comes from. I want to make sure that we're all clear on this. John 11:5. Look at this verse. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Let's don't lose sight of this, that everything that Jesus did for them, everything that Jesus said to them, every command that he gave to Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he did out of love. And this is so simple, but it's also so important for us to understand because without this part, this, this whole book just turns into a long list of rules a long list of things that we're supposed to do and things that we're not supposed to do and we can get so fed up with following the rules of why, why should we even care? Well, because Jesus loves us and he gives us these things out of love. And so parents, how many parents in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent. If you're a parent. Do you have rules for your kids, parents? Yeah, why? Because you love them, right? And you know what's best. And in most cases, the rules that you give them are to protect them. They're to help them. They're to, to, to show them, hey, I love you. It's important that we set these boundaries. It's important that we have these guidelines. And man, parents, how many of you get frustrated because your kids just won't listen to what you have to say and what you have to say is all out of love. And if you just listened to me, you wouldn't have to make that mistake. I already made that mistake. Listen to my mistake. Amen? Kids, you get so fed up with your parents telling you what to do, right? Amen. I heard one. 
get so fed up with your parents telling you what to do, but I want you to know that almost everything they tell you, almost everything that we say to you is out of love. It's because we've been there before. We've made those mistakes. We've had those things happen to us. And if you would just listen to what we have to say, your life would be so much better and you wouldn't have to repeat the mistakes that we've made, but you're going to do it anyway. And Jesus is the same way. He gives us commands out of love. And sometimes we hear some of us in this room uh, are, are doing things that we know are against Christ's commands because it's not really hurting anybody. Uh, it's never really had any effect on me, so it probably doesn't really matter. And, but just remember, every rule, every guideline, every command that Jesus gives us, he gives us because he loves us and he knows what's best and he wants us. Now, as parents, we give those commands and they're almost always out of love. And I say almost because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. But God is a perfect father. He's a perfect dad. And everything that he gives us is out of love. And that's the case with Mary and Martha. And so as I look through these three stories, here's the common thread. I'm going to tell it to you now. Here's what I think we can take away from their stories. Are you ready? This is what Jesus is telling them. We focus way too much on temporary things. And we don't focus nearly enough on eternal things. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he came, came right out and tells his disciples, hey, this is not going to end in death. This is so that, why? So that God's glory may be revealed. Now, he did this really cool thing for Lazarus, but you know when he raised Lazarus from the dead, do you know that was temporary? Do you know that Lazarus is not still alive right now? Does that surprise you at all? That Lazarus was raised from the dead and he got to have dinner with Jesus, but he eventually died again. Why? Because all of us, our bodies are temporary. Right? But yet we can focus a lot on our body, can't we? On what we look like, how strong we are, how fast we are, what we wear. We can focus a lot on that, but that's a temporary thing. Right? Um, when Mary pours out the very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, and Judas speaks up and says, Wait, that could have been used to feed the poor. Honestly, if I were in the room, if some of you were in the room, we might have agreed with Judas. I mean, this seems pretty extravagant, a year's worth of wages in worship when there's people starving, there's people hungry, there's people thirsty. I mean, we think about all of the needs in this world and to spend that kind of money on worship, isn't that a bit extravagant? We might've agreed with Judas there, but Jesus basically tells the people, look, feeding people, taking care of people's uh, temporary needs, that's a temporary solution. He said, you're always gonna have the poor with you. It doesn't matter how much you feed them. It doesn't matter how much you give them water. You're always going to have to know. Does that mean we shouldn't do anything? No. They said, just realize this is a temporary solution. But what Jesus is telling them in this situation is, hey, your worship has eternal consequences. Your worship has eternal consequences. You know, someday we're going to stand face to face with Jesus on the other side of death. And we're going to have to continue conversations that we had with him on earth. And if we've never had conversations with him on earth, what are we going to talk about? You thought about that? If we never worshiped him on earth, are we going to be able to worship him in heaven? I wonder about that. And finally, poor Martha, when Jesus rebukes her, rebukes is too strong. Uh, when Jesus corrects her, uh, he says, Martha, Martha, uh, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He says, it lasts forever. In other words, I probably don't have to tell you this was one of the major themes in Jesus' ministry, this focus on eternal things. And as we look at these three stories and these three passages, we see it, right? We see this thread running through. Jesus says, hey, don't focus so much on the temporary stuff. Focus on the eternal stuff. 
In fact, once when he was teaching a crowd of people up on a mountain, he warned us this. Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why did he say this? Because he didn't want us to have nice things, right? No. It's because he loves us. He tells us these things out of love. He knows what's coming in the next life. And he knows that the things that we accumulate on earth are temporary. That one day they're going to be useless to us. But the treasures we accumulate in heaven are eternal treasures. They can never be taken away. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, Martha, you shouldn't ever be busy. He's not saying to you today, you shouldn't ever be busy. There are times in our lives where we have to be busy. But he's saying, hey, there are also times in your life when you just need to sit at my feet and hear what I have to say to you. The Apostle Paul maybe wrote the best piece of advice about this when he said in 2 Corinthians 4, he said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And you know what our culture does really well is the stuff that we can see. I don't know how you've thought about this, but we have IMAX 3D movies, we have Instagram and Snapchat are the two fastest growing social media sites. Why? They're completely visual. It's all about what you can see. We do what you can see really well. It's why we love Pinterest and HDTV and we can see how beautiful someone's house is and how beautiful their kitchen is and how beautiful their bedroom is, but we never have to cook in it. We never have to sleep in it. We never have to smell it. We never have to experience what it's like to be there. We do seeing really well we don't do unseen very well. Now here's the result of that. As a culture, as a society, as a, as a county, Hamilton County, we are experts in busy. We are really, really good at busy. We, we stay busy to impress our friends and neighbors. We stay busy because it's a badge of honor in our society. Uh, we stay busy because Honestly, we're afraid of the intimacy that comes with relationships when we're not busy. And honestly, we stay busy because some of us, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves if we didn't have anything to do. We don't know how to just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. But Jesus said, this is the one thing. The one thing that's needed is to sit at his feet, to hear his voice. It's the one thing. And he tells Martha that it can't be taken away from you. There's a story in the Old Testament of a, of a man named Elijah, a prophet named Elijah, who um, wants to hear from God, and he goes up on a mountain. And while he's up there, there's an earthquake, a huge earthquake, and he's listening for God, but the Bible says that God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there's a raging fire that comes through, but it says God wasn't in the fire. And then finally, God speaks to Elijah, and it's in this still small voice, this whisper. And so my challenge to you today was... If God were to come today and speak to you in a whisper, would you be able to hear him? Or is your life so busy, so noisy, so full that you wouldn't even hear what he had to say? We're gonna take some time today during the service. We're gonna practice just sitting in silence. We're gonna practice sitting at the feet of Jesus. And here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be awkward. It may be only a minute or two, but it's gonna, for some of you, it's going to seem like 20. And you're going to be tempted to look around and be tempted to see what everybody else is doing. You're gonna have, your mind's going to start to wander because for, for many of us, we don't have this practice of just sitting in silence and listening for Jesus. But in just a minute, the band's going to stop playing music. We're all going to sit 
and we're gonna listen for the voice of God. We're gonna sit at Jesus' feet for just a minute. And what I hope is that it'll start a habit in your life. I hope that you're so blessed by this, this space in our service, by this moment of silence, that you'll start to practice it. And pretty soon it'll be two and three and four and five minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes in time when you're not doing anything, you're not thinking about anything, you're just listening for the voice of Jesus.